Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, July 4th, 2021. It focuses on our tendency to compare ourselves with others and seek power. The message to all who will listen is the greatest in the kingdom, where every believer receives eternal life, is the servant of all. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that uh, you are in this place and that your spirit is available to each of us to interpret scripture and convince us of our need for you, convince us of our wrongdoing and our right doing, and to show us your way. And I pray that your word would go forth and accomplish your purposes in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in high school, I landed everyone's dream job. I was hired by the local seed company to detassel corn. Anyone here ever detasseled corn? Anyone? Yeah. I got to rise early in the morning, which every high schooler loves, before the sun peaked above the horizon and board this old school bus. And on the short ride in the unair conditioned beast, I got to kind of get a little nap in there. And then we would stumble out into a cornfield, which was wet with dew, and so soon our clothing was completely soaked, and usually it was still a little wet on the ground, and so our feet got caked with mud, which of course makes it difficult to walk down the rows. Our necks are craned up, looking at the top of the corn and reaching up and pulling out tassels. And man, it got warm after a while. It was cool in the morning when you're all wet, and then the sun would come out, and you're wearing long sleeves and gloves so that the leaves of corn, which will cut your hands and your arms, so we're wearing long sleeves and gloves to keep everything protected. And so soon after the dew-soaked clothes dry out, then they're sweat-soaked, and it gets all gross and stuff. We did get a break for lunch. And then we went back out and did some more, and we tried our best to stay hydrated and drink water all throughout the day, but you can't keep up with stuff like that, not in Iowa. Anyway, at the end of the day, we would get back on the bus and ride back into town exhausted, and the next day we'd do the same thing over and over. And Hey, my dream job, your dream job, right? Everybody wants to sign up. You're jealous, I know. Well... Maybe you were not rewarded with such a great job when you were in high school. Perhaps you got to sleep in because the restaurant that you were flipping burgers in didn't open till 10 o'clock. So, man, you got to stay in bed a little bit longer. You learned how to be lazy and not get up early. I'm kidding. Anyway, you can sleep in as long as you want. But uh, I'll bet some of you in high school never saw sunrise. Anyway. And we haven't even talked about the pay yet. I'd tell you how much I made, but I'm not sure you could handle the truth without suffering fits of envy. Because the company that I worked with loved to share their million-dollar profits with the detasseling crews. (laughs) We were grateful beyond measure when payday rolled around. And I'll whisper how much I made each week so as not to make too much of a stir. Not very much. (laughs) The pay was the pay. We all got the same minimal hourly rate. We took the check and didn't ask questions. We were too worn out to whine or fuss much. But the day laborers in Jesus' parable, which we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 20, they were not quite as 
passive as us, evidently. Some of them complained a bit about their pay, even though they had agreed to the amount ahead of time. And so we're going to find out as we read the story why there is so much belly aching. So let's look here at the story that Jesus tells. It's in the first verses of Matthew 20. My Bible calls this the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's one of Jesus' more famous tales. Perhaps you've heard it before, perhaps not. So just listen up as I read. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20. Here's what Jesus said. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one is hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go also and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. What a bunch of crybabies. They got what they agreed to. Those first people hired, they agreed to work for a denarius, right? Denarius was just like the regular wages for that day. I mean, it wasn't like he was cheating them. They got what they worked for. Why the fuss? I think we all know why. They were jealous of their less time worked, equally paid friends. They're as jealous of those guys as you were of me as I talked about my super awesome job. What happened to them wasn't in the strictest sense of the word fair. More work should mean more pay, right? But it didn't in their case, and they were miffed. The story, of course, is fictional. Jesus is telling us this tale to make a point and to drive home an important truth. To whom was he trying to communicate this truth? And what did he want his audience to know? Well, the answer to the first part, to whom he was speaking, we have to go back into chapter 19, which we looked at last week. I don't know if you remember how the chapter ended, but I'm going to read those verses for you again so that we're all on the same page and all remember what we learned last week. And so here it is, verses 27 to 30 of chapter 19. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? If you remember, there was a rich young ruler there, and Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom. And Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Peter says, hey, we left everything. What's in it for us? Verse 28, Jesus said to them, 
Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Peter wants to know what's in it for him. And I suppose for his fellow disciples, because they're probably there listening in, and, and it says that Jesus said this to them. And so after it's all said and done, what's in it for us? That's the question that he's put to Jesus. He wants to know how he's going to be rewarded for, as he says, leaving everything to follow. Jesus assures Peter and the rest of them that there's going to be reward, a plenty in the life to come. Peter and the other disciples will be rewarded a hundred times what they gave up. So that's good, right? Then Jesus, with barely a breath in between, tells this story that we just read. The chapter break is kind of awkward here because there's no break. Peter asks the question. Jesus says, you're going to be rewarded. And then he tells this story immediately. This is Jesus' response to what Peter has asked. And he's addressing Peter's what's in it for me attitude with a cautionary tale. Peter is worried about compensation. Will his sacrifice be recognized and rewarded? Jesus answers that inquiry with a resounding yes. Reward awaits Peter. Eternal life is going to be his inheritance. Eternal life will also be the inheritance of those who believe late in life and do much less than Peter did. It's the inheritance of those who love Jesus but cannot do much that shows outwardly due to disability or maybe they're just kind of sneaky about serving Jesus and don't blow trumpets and make sure everybody notices. It's the inheritance of those who do as much as Peter and who do even more. I gave my life to Jesus about 50 years ago. If someone were to trust in Jesus for their salvation today, would they be any less saved than me? Nope. If we both were to die tomorrow, I'm not planning on that, but if we were, that person who just gave their life to Christ today would inherit eternal life along with me. Eternal life is the inheritance of all who believe on Christ. It doesn't matter how long or how short their life is after they put their faith in Christ. They get the same forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever life. And don't miss this. Their eternal life isn't any less eternal because they did or didn't do stuff for God. Eternal life isn't more eternal for those who do a bunch of Jesus-like stuff. Those who sacrifice a ton and those who don't sacrifice much all get the same everlasting life. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't do what God directs us to do, the good that he gives us to do? Of course not. If we are saved, truly saved, we want to give our all for Jesus. We want to do good things in his name. We want others to see what he's done in our lives. We want them to know and have eternal life along with us. Jesus said this to his disciples one day on a mountainside. It's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He said this to them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. 
Other people were listening in, and he said this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds done in the power that God gives point people to God. Do you believe that to be true? I mean, you have to talk about the good news too, but your words ring true because your actions show people what God can do with a messed up person like you. Did I say that out loud? We're all in the same boat, aren't we? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Over the past 10 years, I've more than once seen God shine through the good things that people sitting right here have done. And I'm thankful to be a part of that. And I know that your neighbors have seen him in what you've done. Keep doing what God gives you to do. Before we leave this parable behind and see what else God may have for us in Matthew chapter 20, let me mention another application. We've talked about the everyone who believes gets salvation part, that we don't need to be jealous about that. But there's something else that I think God has a word for us, and it's, it's a warning of sorts. And that's this. Comparing yourself to others, noting what you've done versus what they've done will rob you of joy. It will get your focus off of what God has done in your life and done through you. You'll start obsessing over what others are doing or sometimes what they're not doing. And the potential for pride or for bitterness is high when you take your eyes off of Jesus and start watching what others do or do not do for him. When you're comparing your godly actions to their godly actions, you stop serving out of love and start serving out of pressure to perform. You've got to one-up that gal across the aisle from you who uh, either seems to be doing nothing of kingdom value in your opinion or who shares the good news with strangers at Walmart and gives generously to the guy with the anything helps sign every single time. Do you want to be happy? Do the work that God prompts you to do out of love for Jesus and others and encourage every other follower of Jesus to do the same trusting that God's going to lead them by his spirit to do exactly what he's got for them to do. That's where the joy is. It's in serving God as you're led to, to serve him and watching others serve God as they're led to, to serve him and not worrying about whether they've done more or done less. You don't even know everything that everybody does. I guarantee it. There are people who have been really sneaky this week and done good that you missed. I promise. All right, before we leave this topic altogether, let me read a short passage from Galatians chapter 6. After talking about how believers should help each other overcome temptation and sin, Paul writes about comparison, and this is what it says in verses 3 through 5. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. What should matter most to you? Doing what you've been given to do by God. What should matter not at all? Whether a brother in Christ is doing what you think they ought to be doing. 
whether a sister in Christ is, in your humble opinion, pulling her weight in the kingdom. None of your business. You pray for your brother. You watch what God does in and through them and praise God. You pray for your sister. You thank God that the two of you share eternal life and you get to do life together here and now and into eternity as you both serve the king. Paul wraps up his thoughts in Galatians. Chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Whenever the opportunity to do good arises, do it. You will never go wrong when you do the good that you've been given to do. Eyes on Jesus, no one else. Let joy in him be your aim in life. We're ready for Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. I want to encourage you to follow along as I read this real-life story now. This goes right along with the message that we heard in the first story, so that's why we're going to this today. Didn't have time for the whole chapter this morning, so we're going to skip down to verse 20 and read 20 to 28, and this is what it says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's the verdict? Did the disciples hear and understand what Jesus said when he told them a parable about the workers? It doesn't appear so. They're not focused on Jesus without complaining. They're not focused on doing what he's given them to do. They're just trying to get their position sealed and satisfied before Jesus takes over the world. They want to make sure that their resume is at the top of the stack. James and John, with their mom's help, they're jockeying for position, for power. Is this the kind of thing that Jesus is looking for in a follower? No. A thousand times no. Power grabbing is out. Serving humbly is in. The kingdom way flies in the face of the worlds. Outside the kingdom, in every culture, not just our own, but in every culture, people are trying constantly to one-up their neighbor. They're asking daily, how can I get ahead? How can I assert my dominance over other people? You can see this at every level of society. Put enough people together and someone's going to try a power play. Who's going to direct the school board? Who's going to run the town? Who's going to gain political clout? Who's going to beat down their opponents? Who's going to take center stage? Sadly, 
Sometimes a person or two gets this wrong in a gathering of believers. A pastor tries to bully the elders. The elders beat down everybody else in the pews. The organist attempts to put everyone in their place with a long, loud, sustained chord on the foot pedals that shakes the foundation of the building. Now, I'm not talking about anybody here, just folks in New Jersey. I'm only half joking. We must never forget who's the head of the church. It's not me. It's not any of you. It's Jesus. He's the head of the church. Asserting our dominance over other people is sheer foolishness when we're in a kingdom and there's a king and we're all servants of his. And we all get eternal life and we get to serve together. I'm telling you, if you attempt a hostile takeover of the church from the king of kings, I don't have to tell you who's going to win that battle. Instead of seeking power and position and prestige, Jesus invites his followers to follow his example. Did he grab power? No, not at all. He demonstrated authority over all things, but he didn't use that authority to take over things. Listen to what Paul wrote in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Pay attention to what he says we should do in response to what we see Jesus doing. There are words of instruction for each and every one of us. This is what Paul wrote to the church. God intends all this for his church for all time, which includes this time right now. Here we go. Philippians 2, 1 to 11, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, God's Son, set the example for us. He humbly served despite his position of power and authority. He had real power and real authority. He's the Son of God. He put all that aside to bring salvation to those who would believe on him, and he gave his life rather than defend it. If we want to be great like him, we must have the same attitude that he had. We must humble ourselves and serve. Isn't that what it said? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, this is the way. Be the servant of all. Be on the lookout for ways to give. Be eager to put others' needs ahead of your own, their interest instead of yours. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying to think of yourself as worth nothing. 
Jesus gave himself up as a ransom for many, and if you are a believer, you're part of the many that he gave his life up for. Exactly because this is true, you don't have to grasp and grab for power. You already got everything you need. Your worth has already been determined to be high, high enough to die for. With that knowledge firmly grasped, you can serve others without fear. You can give of yourself and serve. You can pay attention to the interests of others without worry. You are secure in Christ Jesus. Jesus has set us free from the perceived need to manipulate and connive and deceive and plot and scheme and wrangle to get ahead, to win. As citizens of his kingdom, we have all we could ever need. We have acceptance from God. We have forgiveness from God. We have love from God. We have eternal life from God. Anything missing? Not anything that's really valuable. We are loved completely and unconditionally by the God of this universe who made us. What more is there to go after when you have everything? I don't know where you are in life. Perhaps you're still looking around at others, comparing yourself to them, thinking you're better by far. I've been there, done that. And it is a miserable way to live and a miserable way to think. It creates distress and heartache and conflict and jealousy and discord and bitterness and bleh. Jesus invites you to give up your comparing ways and to rest in him. He invites you to do what he's given you to do without concerning yourself at all with what he's directing others to do and whether they measure up or not. That's his business. What business is it of yours, it says, to judge somebody else's servant? Maybe comparison isn't your downfall. Maybe you're a power grabber instead. Looking to one-up everyone is just as miserable a way to live as looking down on those around you. Seeking this top position always leads to fear of loss, fear that somebody else is going to knock you off the, your position as king of the hill. If you are a power seeker, Jesus invites you, actually he commands you, but he invites you to put that behind you and to serve others instead. He invites you to look to the interests of others rather than just to your own. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, this is the way. You have a choice to make, and I do too. Will you daily choose Jesus' kingdom and his ways of service, or will you choose, in the moment, the world's kingdom and its ways, comparing and grabbing for power? We are not saved for our glory. We are saved to point people to the one who saves. So let us do that with a servant's heart, humbly, just as Jesus did, giving ourselves up so that others might know. Consider this morning what God may be saying to you as we pause for just a few moments of silence and reflection. I encourage you to respond to his word. It does us no good to listen to it if we don't put it into practice. That's worthless. So you've heard... What is it that God wants for you? We'll take just a few moments to consider that.
God, I thank you that because of what Jesus has done that we don't have to fear. We get eternal life if we believe. We don't have to compare ourselves to others and what they're doing. We just get to follow you and be obedient to you. Without looking down on others or exalting ourselves, but just lifting you up and being obedient and being servants. God, help us this week to be great in your kingdom. To go about doing good as stealthily as we can so that our reward's from you and not from the attaboys that we might get from someone else. Help us not to compare ourselves with others or to grab for power, but instead to just give ourselves to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close this morning with just a few words from Ephesians chapter 2, which remind us of two truths, that we're saved only by grace, so we don't have any position outside of that. We have no position with God except that God has been gracious to us and also that we are saved to give away the good that God's given us. Starting at verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. That's us, the church. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us all together to do. Amen? That's what we're here to do is to do the good that he's given to us to do. And God actually prepared in advance. Before you believed, he prepared in advance the good that he wanted you to do. So go do it this week. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.